Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope all is well. Uh, Our car shopping odyssey continues. Now, I'm doing the online shopping, which is a big convenience because it lets me look at dealerships inventory instead of driving to all these different dealerships just to see what's on the lot. That is a convenience, but I don't really understand how anybody can purchase a vehicle online. For most people, their car is the second biggest investment they will ever make in their life. I cannot imagine plopping down that much money on a car that I have not seen. Apparently, that's becoming the way to do it. A lot of people are doing it that way. Most of those car websites offer a seven-day return guarantee, but still, that's a huge hassle. I can't imagine buying a car that I have not physically seen and driven to see what condition it's in. If you've bought a car that way and you're happy, I'm I'm happy for you. That's great. I can't imagine doing that. That's not really what I wanted to talk about, but that does lead into today's topic. On Saturday, my wife and I were traveling to a little town called Easton, Pennsylvania. There's a car lot there that had a vehicle I wanted to look at. Easton sits on the Delaware River right across the state line from New Jersey. And as we were traveling to Easton, I believe we were on State Route 76. That may be an interstate, I'm not sure. But as we were getting close to Easton, and we were getting close to our exit, we passed a sign that said, Last Exit in Pennsylvania. Now, I know that New Jersey has got a bad reputation. It has somehow become a state that we have just collectively as a culture decided it's okay to make fun of New Jersey. And I grew up next to West Virginia. Trust me, West Virginia gets made fun of a lot, but there's a welcome to West Virginia sign at the state line. There's no signs warning you away from the state. And it just struck me as odd that the state of Pennsylvania actually spent money making up signs to let you know that, hey, you need to take a couple of seconds and think about what you're doing, because if you drive past this exit, you're going to New Jersey, whether you want to or not. But ever since then, I've been thinking about just the way everybody thinks about New Jersey, and I got to wondering how the state of New Jersey got to be the whipping boy for the rest of the country. So I've spent the last couple of days reading articles, doing a little little bit of a deep dive into the history of New Jersey, and I really haven't found a satisfying answer. Of course, in recent years, a lot of people point to the MTV show Jersey Shore as sort of galvanizing the stereotype of Jersey people. I never watched that show, so I can't really give any opinions on what it was like. Of course, I'm familiar with the characters from the show. But that wasn't the start of it. I can remember people making fun of New Jersey when I was a little kid. George Carlin had a joke that I saw years ago. I don't know when this clip was recorded. I saw it. I think I was about middle school age, so this would have been the late 80s. And the joke he was making had to do with New Jersey being called the Garden State. And the joke was, sure, if you're growing smokestacks, yeah, the Garden State. But it goes back even further than that, all the way to the founding. I come across a quote, uh, Benjamin Franklin is considered to be the first person to make a New Jersey joke. Uh, Benjamin Franklin's line was that New Jersey is like a barrel that has been tapped on both ends. 
And I assume that what he meant by that was Philadelphia is just across the southern border of New Jersey and New York City is just across the northern border of New Jersey. So you had people spilling out of the state from both directions. Another TV show that a lot of people point to recently that has given New Jersey a bad name is The Sopranos. Uh, Once again, and don't judge me too harshly on this, I have never watched an episode of The Sopranos. Not a full episode. I made it about two-thirds of the way through the pilot episode one time. I just really couldn't get into it. The mobster movies and TV shows, by extension, just really isn't my cup of tea. Uh, For whatever reason, I really like Goodfellows. That's the only mobster movie I ever really watch. Now, look, I can... I can watch Casino or The Godfather, and I can see that they're very well made, very well written, very well acted, but I don't enjoy those movies. I don't sit down and watch them. But for whatever reason, if I catch Goodfellas on, I will watch it to the end. One other exception to this rule is the Reels Channel has a show called Gangsters, America's Most Evil, and they'll show marathons of that in the evening, two or three days a week. And I do enjoy watching the the true story documentary of these criminals and unfortunately it's not just a stereotype a lot of those guys did live in new jersey and they would commute to the city every day it's kind of odd thinking about gangsters and crime bosses having a daily commute getting up and having a cup of coffee with the wife and then sitting in traffic on their way to the city but But a lot of them did. They lived across the river in Jersey, and they would commute into the city each day. I'm assuming that wherever they were going didn't have a time clock, but it's very similar to what a lot of just the stockbrokers and publishing people in New York City would do as well. But I don't understand why that would be such a stigma for New Jersey by itself. Why doesn't New York City get the same stigma? That's that's where all of these guys were doing their business in. All of them worked in New York City. They just would live in New Jersey. The the housing's cheaper. It's not a long trip over the river into the into the city when it's time to go to work. I don't understand how New York City can look down their nose at New Jersey for this mob connection when the mob connection originates in the city. And the simple fact of the matter is a lot of cities in this country have got a very long history with organized crime. Um, Everybody knows Chicago, and of course Al Capone. Uh, Kansas City had a big mafia presence. That was something that I wasn't aware of. But you've also got Las Vegas, obviously. Los Angeles has big ties to the mafia. A lot of the Movies that were coming out of Hollywood during the golden age of the 40s and 50s were funded by mafia money. Even the area I'm living in now has got a pretty big connection to organized crime. Apparently, it was a bit of a habit of the mafia guys that when they got a little older and wanted to get out, but they didn't want to be places where they were getting scrutinized like New Jersey and New York City. This area is just a couple hours away from New York City, and it was just a convenient landing spot for a lot of these guys. So when the whole country has a history with organized crime, I don't think that we can stigmatize one state for that. But a lot of the articles I was reading was trying to link the organized crime with political corruption. And 
again, how can you single out New Jersey for a problem that all 50 states have to one degree or another? Now, I got the impression that New Jersey has had a pretty extensive history with voter fraud over the years. But let's face it, organized crime and politics go hand in hand in most states. Corrupt money and corrupt bureaucracies go hand in hand in most states. I mean, even back home, West Virginia was saddled, or well, let's let's call a spade a spade. West Virginia saddled itself with Senator Robert Byrd for the better part of the 20th century. And there's only two things that I know that that man did. Uh, one was that he filibustered the 1965 Civil Rights Act. And the other is that he spent a lot of time trying to get his name on every road and bridge in that state. Which, when you represent an economically depressed state, obviously the correct thing to do is to force that state to spend money immortalizing you on a bunch of signs all over the state. I mean, that's just part and parcel of public service, isn't it? It's there to prop up your ego. But New York has had corrupt politicians all the way back to the days of Tammany Hall in New York City. Every state has corruption. I'm sure my home state of Virginia has got its fair share. Pennsylvania absolutely has a history of corrupt politicians. And speaking of corrupt Pennsylvania politicians... Hillary Clinton, when she was campaigning, she made a lot of hay out of the fact that her father was from the Scranton area and grew up very blue-collar. It's interesting whenever somebody from this area hears that fact, because without fail, the very next words out of their mouth are something to the effect of, yeah, he was from the Scranton area and he was mobbed up six ways to Sunday. I don't think that ever made it into her campaign ads. I'm not sure why they would leave that part out of it. I'm sure it had something to do with the runtime of the political ad, but who knows. The bottom line on this particular subject simply comes down to, is there any state in the union that can compete with Illinois on this particular playground? I'm not sure how many governors Illinois has had in their history of statehood, Surely it can't be a lot. I'd be surprised if it's over 40. But six former Illinois governors have been indicted on corruption charges. Now, not all of them were convicted. I think four of them convicted and did serve time. But when you're talking about a good 20% of your governors have been indicted on charges, that's the kind of showing that will put you firmly in first place. There's not a state in the union that can compete with those numbers. So if the political corruption isn't what's causing this, we got to move on to something else. Now, I read a lot about the urban blight and people's impressions of the state as a whole. Now, it's true. When you're traveling into New York City on the interstate, the part of Jersey that you're driving through, particularly when you get close to the river in New York City, it's very densely populated. That area is, the buildings are not new. It was an industrialized area. And I don't think that that is technically in what would be considered the Rust Belt. But again, you had a heavily industrialized area. And when all those jobs left, just like all the other industrial parts of the country, you had all these big buildings that were left empty. 
And when a building sits empty, uh, particularly in a climate like New Jersey has, where you have very cold winters, very hot summers, that temperature fluctuation will destroy a structure faster than you would expect it to. It will really take a structure downhill incredibly quickly. So that is not the most aesthetically pleasing part of the state. The rest of the state, especially the the portions that I have been in are gorgeous. I haven't been to the Jersey Shore. Everybody I've talked to says it's great. We need to go there on vacation one year. Of course, you've got the Pine Barrens. The Delaware Water Gap is an area that's really close to me. It's actually when I travel to New York City on Interstate 80, I go through the Delaware Water Gap as picturesque of a place as I've ever been. You have these mountain ridges that are coming right down to the edge of the river in most places. There's parking areas all along there, and you'll see people riding mountain bikes, people kayaking, tubing, fishing, swimming in the river. It is, like I say, it is as pretty as any place I've ever been. It reminds me a great deal of Brakes Interstate Park in Virginia and Kentucky near where I used to live. It reminds me a lot of the New River Gorge, although the New River Gorge is quite a bit more rugged, mountainous terrain than this. But most of the state is absolutely beautiful. It's a little bit elitist, in my opinion, to judge the entire state based on the 45 miles of interstate that you travel just to get to New York City. Now, something interesting I came across as I was reading articles preparing for this show was the issue of the Meadowlands, which is right outside of New York City. It's obviously where the Giants and the Jets football stadium is. But there were a lot of people questioning how can this dilapidated, industrialized, ghetto-looking neighborhood be termed the Meadowlands. Well, that's what it looks like now. 150 years ago, it was meadows and lowland swamp wetlands area. And the name used to fit. Obviously, it doesn't now, but things don't always look like they did when they were named. That's If you've ever wondered how the country of Greenland is named Greenland when it looks like the planet Hoth, it's because when the Vikings first started traveling to there, the temperature was much warmer than it is now, and it was green. It was forests, and they actually had settlements there under what is now a glacier. So unfortunately, things change, not always for the better. Um, I did come across one very interesting topic as far as the Meadowlands goes. Apparently, that's a very popular spot to dump bodies. In fact, I found a report that said the first instance of a murder victim being dumped in the Meadowlands goes all the way back to just before the Revolutionary War. So that is a longstanding tradition that we should all be very proud of. That is part of our national heritage. And I read a quote, and I cannot remember the individual's name. If by some strange twist of fate you actually hear this, I'm not trying to steal your thunder. I simply do not remember your name. I'm not trying to steal credit. But the quote was, if a biologist wanted to do a paper on the flora and fauna of the Meadowlands, it would be necessary to include corpses and forensic investigators in that report. Maybe that's not the kind of thing most people find funny. I thought that was hilarious and very clever. Okay, so the urban blight is a problem for a very small portion of New Jersey. So really, the only thing that that leaves is the people themselves. 
Now, again, I did not watch the Jersey Shore, but I'm familiar with some of the characters. And believe me, you can find people like that in New Jersey. Where I live, I've met a lot of people from New Jersey. I have met a couple of guys that while I'm standing there and looking at them and listening to them run their mouth about something, the only thing that could go through my head was some things are stereotypes because they're true. But I've also met a lot of good people from New Jersey. I worked with a woman at one of the dealerships that I worked at. I worked with her for about three years. We got along great. I really enjoyed working with her. But just from the anecdotal evidence that I have seen, the people that I've met and interacted with from New Jersey, you're really not going to describe a lot of them as shrinking violets. And that seems to be one of the big complaints about people from New Jersey is that they're a little bit belligerent and a little bit rude. I, and maybe it's just me. I like directness in a person. I think that's a good personality trait to have. I like knowing where I stand with somebody and I don't have to worry. Are they just feeding me a line of crap because they don't want to tell me what they really think? And again, just from the anecdotal evidence that I have gathered, you really don't have to worry about that with somebody from New Jersey. But the thing of it is, you can find nut jobs anywhere. Now, I have not traveled extensively. That's one of the things that I have not had the opportunity to do in my life. Um, I've never been out of the country. There's a lot of states in this country that I haven't visited. I just did a quick count, and I may have missed one along the way. But I have been in 21 out of 50 states. Now, there's a couple that I have technically been inside of the borders of, but I didn't count those because I was not traveling to that and I didn't stop to do anything. I have been in Chicago's O'Hare Airport. Uh, we were taking catching a connecting flight. I never left the airport. I didn't even go beyond security, so I did not count that one because I was in the state for less than an hour. But I have, I have been to Washington, D.C. I have been to Richmond and Norfolk, Nashville, I've been to New York City, I've been to Boston, Cincinnati, Dallas, Texas, San Francisco. There are idiots anywhere you go in this country. And I think part of the problem, I think there is a hubris and again an elitism that comes from the eastern seaboard, the west coast. Because when you see some idiot that's dressed crazy, acting strangely, looks like they might be strung out on something, and you see that person in New York, everybody says, that guy's crazy. When they see somebody like that from New Jersey, or when they see somebody from back home that looks like they just crawled out from under a trailer in the scariest trailer park in the state, they don't say that guy or that girl. They say, well, that's just how those people are. It's, it's They're all like that. People don't say that about people from other parts of the country. When me and my wife were in San Francisco, we were standing on the street corner waiting on the trolley to come by. There was an Asian woman standing to my wife's right. I was standing to her left. And at some point, a guy walked up. I don't know if he was homeless or not. I'm assuming he was just from the way he was dressed. Uh, he had a very, very large backpack that was stuffed full of items, and he was carrying a surfboard for some reason. He come up on my left and was presumptively waiting for the trolley as well. 
And after standing there for about 30 seconds, he started yelling about how foreigners were taking over this country and yada, yada, yada. And he went on for a while. The poor Asian lady standing to my wife's right very visually became, I don't, I don't want to say agitated because that sounds like she was angry. You could just tell she was extremely uncomfortable with the situation. Uh, after standing there and yelling for about two minutes, he told me to watch his surfboard, set it down on the sidewalk, and walked away. Now, if that guy was in West Virginia or if he was in New Jersey, he would get lumped in with the rest of us. It would be everybody in the state is like that. But since he's standing in San Francisco, of course, he gets to be an individual, and it's just that racist nutcase yelling at some poor random Asian woman on the street. And this is just another good example of what I talked about a couple of episodes ago about how human beings have as part of our psychological makeup a need to separate people into groups. And once you have someone separated into a group other than your own, it's very easy to start looking down your nose and dehumanizing them. And one of the things that I think we should propose is for New Jersey and West Virginia to form a coalition and just tell the world enough of this. We've had it with your stereotypes and looking down your nose and belittling us. And we could get some other states to come in too, the states that are chronically the butts of jokes. Uh, Alabama comes to mind. Mississippi. Alaska, if they would like to join. Um, Of course, everybody universally loves the natural beauty of Alaska, but most people kind of consider the people that live in Alaska as being on the fringe. And I hear a lot of jokes about people in Alaska. They're all running from some federal charges, and that's where they ended up. But there's power in a group, and there's power in numbers. And if West Virginia and New Jersey would combine their strengths, it would help alleviate a lot of this. And if you don't believe me that there's power in numbers, just look at Jonestown. Trust me, people want to join large groups. All right, guys, that's about all I've got for you today. I appreciate you sitting with me once again. I hope you enjoyed the show. And as always, if you would like to shoot me a comment, you can send an email to freshfrozensoutherner at gmail.com. I hope you guys have a good rest of the week, and I will talk to you on Friday. Thank you very much, guys. Have a good night. Bye.